So, let's start off by saying, good morning sinners, or should I say, good morning fellow sinners. And um, this bit today, for me, the aspect that I'm going to be looking at is really about sin and what it is, its effects, and how we deal with it. I will not be looking at the anointing part of it or touch on the parable that is contained within the story. There's, there's a lot in this. Um, and initially, we could just look at this and say, woman approaches Jesus in a wholesome way, woman is forgiven, and you could look at that and go, end of story, let's sing another song and we'll all go home. And I kind of think <laughs> our church leaders wouldn't be happy if I left it at that point. So we need to say a little bit more. So our previous stories in this Luke Street have been looking at various things. There was Simon's mother who had a fever. There was other people with various illnesses. There was a paralyzed man who was lowered through the roof. There was the Pharisees uh, challenging Jesus about meeting the wrong people and Jesus making it clear that he was with the right people and he was here to heal or look after the sick. Uh, there was the centurion's sick and dying servant and Jesus brought a dead girl back to life. This story is quite different because here we have a woman who is physically fit. Her issues are mental, if you like. She's under a lot of stress. She is in a state of anguish. She knows that she has done wrong. She knows she's sinned, and she is burdened with guilt. It's all here, if you like. And we have this scene. And in this scene, there are really three players that we're interested in. There's Simon the Pharisee. There's the sinful woman. And Jesus. And I look at these and go, Simon the Pharisee probably represents some of us here. And I look at this and go, it certainly represents me. The sinful woman possibly represents who we might aspire to be. Yes, we might aspire to acknowledge our sins. And, of course, there is Jesus who we cannot aspire to be like, but we can use as a role model perhaps how we should behave. Um, and although this is said to occur at Simon's house, uh, Wearsby suggested that it's not in a house, because you might question how this woman could just get into here. And um, of my bit of life in the Arab world, I can go along with that, because when Arabs get married in the Gulf Arabs who've got some money, the women are their celebration hidden away because women are not allowed to be seen much, so they have their own private one. But the men have their celebrations in an open square. It's a big marble square, no sides to it, and they conduct all their part of the ceremony in public. And there is always an audience and curious bystanders of which I have been one looking at that. And in Jordan, it was slightly different. They were a lot poorer. Uh, they didn't have a nice bit of land, but they just went into a bit of land in the town that hadn't been built on yet, 
and arrange for some awning, but on three sides, the fourth side was wide open, and this is where people came and went, and again, people like me might have stood there and gawked to see what's going on, and so there was nothing physically there to prevent this woman from just walking in. Um, So I think, you know, we think, how did that happen? So then I wanted to think about this, what, what do we mean by sin? And I think we, we might be able to talk all day about what sin is. Um, but I think in short, we might accept that it is about acting or thinking in ways that offend God or offend other people. And in the Old Testament, we had Ten Commandments from Moses. There was no other gods, no idols, no using God's name badly and honouring the Sabbath. There were four things in there that related directly to God. And then there was honouring the parents, do not murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, and don't covet what other people have. There were six items there that were dealing with our relationships with other people. And, you know, we have relationships with God, but we also have relationships with other people. And in the New Testament, uh, that Jesus modified that a little bit, if you like, in Matthew 22, when he was challenged, he was, the Pharisees were trying to trip him up. He said, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, Lord our God is one Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That is the God bit, if you like, like those Ten Commandments. And then the second bit, the second is this, you must love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So Jesus, in his statement, recognized a relationship with God, but also a relationship with other people. So why does this sin matter? And it matters because sin separates us from God, and it separates us from people that we might have offended. In Isaiah 59, in the Good News Bible, I like that one, but he's, Isaiah, to me, is a book of, almost a book of rants. It's like, I just imagine him being almost insane with fury about what was going on in the world. And I imagine most of the people in his life thought of him as some madman. But he says, don't think the Lord is too weak to save you or too deaf to hear your call for help. It is because of your sins that he doesn't hear you. It is your sins that separate you from God when you try to worship him. It's your sins that create a difference. And we witness this separation from God right in our first bit of the Bible in the Garden of Eden. After Adam and Eve have eaten from that tree, the tree of knowledge, uh, just notice the sequence of events. As soon, this is Genesis 3, as soon as they had eaten it, they were given understanding and realized they were naked and 
covered themselves. That evening, they heard the Lord God walking in the garden, and they hid from him among the trees. They hid from him. Isn't this typical of human behavior? As soon as they had done something wrong, immediately it becomes clear that they're going to get caught, and they try to hide their guilt. And they try to hide themselves in the forest. So we see this emergence of a physical separation from God in doing that. But then we go back to to this. It said, but the Lord God called out, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid and hid from you because I was naked. I was afraid. Fear comes in when we have done something wrong and we're worried about getting caught. We get frightened and we tried to hide it. Adam was frightened. His nakedness drew attention to the fact that he had sinned. And it left him vulnerable. And we don't like being vulnerable, do we? Who told you you were naked? God asked. Did you eat fruit that I told you not to eat? The man answered, the woman that you put here with me gave me the fruit and I ate it. The Lord God asked the woman, why did you do this? And she replied, the snake tricked me into eating it. So, Here we see both Adam and Eve try to park the blame somewhere. Not me. I didn't do it. It was his fault. We've never done that, have we? We've never done something else. Not me. And try to slide away. We do. And we have done it lots of times. And the big thing for me here is it's not sin that is the issue. It's about how we deal with it. But we see in that story that we've got a growing emotional distance between Adam and Eve and God. And the same thing happens when we offend other people. We set a barrier between us. The consequences in this case were punishment. As an aside, in this last century, we have eaten from the fruit of knowledge extensively. The development of science, our cars, our houses, the internet, computers, all that sort of thing, these wonderful things coming from the fruit of knowledge, if you like. But the amazing thing is, as we have gone along there, as a nation, as a world, we have moved away from God. There are far fewer people believe in God these days than did, say, at the turn of the century. So, I'm going to say, so what did Adam and Eve do wrong? And for me, it wasn't that they had sinned, that they went wrong. It was that they failed to acknowledge their sins. And I can't, there's nothing to say that they acknowledged their sins there in the Bible. And personally, I think that's why they were punished. 
And, all the, and in this story that we've got with the sinful woman, so come back to the story now, although she actually says nothing, it's clear in her actions and the tears that she is burdened with guilt. She is remorseful and she is full of contrition and she is making herself vulnerable. Can you imagine yourself going into this place as a sinful, supposedly dirty woman into these religious people doing what they're doing and just bursting in and then start crying on Jesus' feet. I kind of think that must have taken an awful lot of courage. Um, And Jesus, you know, he didn't rush in to save her, did he? He let the scene develop. He gave time for Simon the Pharisee, and I assume the other people who were around, to condemn Jesus for his lack of understanding, supposed lack of understanding of who this woman was. And it also gave time for the woman to fully express her sorrow. And you might have been in situations where You know, when there is this tension around when people are, you know, fraught with each other, if you like, but there may be some times when forgiveness has been given too quickly. The person hasn't had time to really express their sorrow, and it just feels a little bit wrong, doesn't it? I think Jesus, in this situation, allowed the woman to fully express her remorse. Um... But he also gave her time to show her love and her faith in Jesus. I think the fact that she walked into this scary situation says a lot that she really must have trusted that Jesus would save her. And actually, she did more, I'm going to say, you and I perhaps wouldn't have gone in there without knowing that we were going to survive the situation, but she more than survived. She got saved. Yes, she had faith. Uh, And what a transformation that is, isn't it? From a pitiful state of being racked with guilt to having peace. And I'll come back to peace a little bit later. Uh, The thing about Jesus, though, he is that true friend who will forgive us no matter what we've done, provided we are remorseful and provided we have faith in him that he will do that. Not many humans would go to that extent. How about Simon the Pharisee? And a few years ago, this is when I sort of became a Christian, I was interested in why people didn't go to church or what put people off going to church. And there's 
lots of reasons and people are frightened to walk through this door into this situation, this group of people going through their ritual, that's something they're frightened of. But the most common answer seemed to be, well, why go to church? It's full of hypocrites. And it seems to be how the population at large might view us in here, that we are hypocrites. And from what I see in the Bible, what we see in the Bible, when we read about the Pharisees, who were the church people, who were very often and accused by Jesus of being hypocrites. It makes me think in 2,000 years, um, maybe not a lot has changed. The views of the population out there are still the same. But Simon had invited Jesus for this meal and to come and talk with them. We don't know his reasons for doing that. I'm guessing that he was as curious about Jesus as everyone else. He wondered who Jesus was. Um, In our Bible group the other night, I was telling people how quite a few years ago I believed in God. I can't believe that there couldn't be a God. But I really wondered who Jesus was. You know, I had a lot of doubt about that. So I imagine he was in a similar place as I was. And as the story developed, we learned that Jesus failed to receive Jesus in the way that was customary or what's the custom for people who are coming as your guests. He failed to do that, to give that common courtesy, yet we see that he was quick to criticise Jesus for not knowing who this woman was. His response to it, and criticised the woman too. This is an extract from there. It said, this man, if if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of a woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. And you see how he sets himself apart from these people. Yet, as you read a bit more about what was going on in that story, in that time, virtually every town had a large underclass population. People who were poor, people who were sick, disabled, lepers, blind, insane, demon-possessed, widows, orphans, refugees, and nowadays I guess you could add alcoholics, drug addicts, homeless those sort of things, they're all still there. These people lacked resources to provide their basic needs, and so they resorted to begging, stealing, menial labor, slavery, and prostitution. They were powerless to change their position, yet highly criticized for being in that position. That is just awful, isn't it? You're born to be in that pit and then you're criticised for being in that pit. Wow. 
And in his thoughts, Simon the Pharisee revealed his true attitude towards these underclasses. Yet in Jesus, we notice the opposite. He sought these people out. He sought to be with these people, to save them with his grace. And I have to ask myself, am I like Simon? Do I shun shun those who are less fortunate than me? Do I put myself out to help those that are less fortunate than me? Maybe I don't give as much help as perhaps I ought. Uh, I didn't finish there. So that's about really Jesus' side, uh, the spiritual side. But when we sin against another person, the effect is the same as sinning against God. And it separates us from people. It creates a rift or a division between us. Generally, the sequence is the same. We need to apologize. We need to make ourselves vulnerable in that apology because when you do, you're opening yourself up to criticism because you're saying, I was wrong. I am sorry, but I was wrong. And that can be quite a frightening place to be particularly, I think, for people who are brought up in, say, a volatile family where people are quick to lose their temper and quick to criticise. It can be very scary to be with people like that. But our apology needs to be honest and we need to accept responsibility. And there's nothing worse than half an apology I'm I'm really sorry I did that, but, but, but all these other mitigating circumstances. Do you know, it doesn't work, and it reminds me of Paul Douglas's lovely sermon he did when we were over there about Laodicea. Do you remember the place that had the lukewarm water? It wasn't hot, it wasn't cold, and it's a bit like a, a lukewarm apology. I might call it the Laodicean apology from now on, I don't know. But it's neither one nor the other. It doesn't work, does it? It just doesn't cut the mustard. So, but if we make a sincere apology, actually, it's very difficult for the person that you're appealing to to not forgive. It kind of, if you're really sincere and they believe you're sincere, it's very hard not to forgive, even though you're hurt, I think. And true forgiveness, it brings peace to both parties, the offender and the offended. Um, And it takes away bitterness from the offended partner and guilt away from the perpetrator. And they both become closer, just as we might become closer to God. And I just finished with saying, you know, the last words in this whole scene... Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And that is a transformation. I know I mentioned it earlier, but from that mental turmoil to peace of mind, 
is a big transformation. And when we look at the other houses in this route down Luke Street that we have taken, we see those physical changes and we're quick to say those are miracles. Yet the Bible, the few Bibles I've read don't say Jesus heals the sinning woman. It's the sinning woman anoints Jesus, or just the sinning woman, or today's was, Robin? Joint anoints, yes. It's a by, but it doesn't say Jesus healed this woman. Yet, in my view, this was a miracle too, a big change. And what's more, this one, it's, it's a miracle that we can actually witness in our lives today. People apologize and are ready to apologize wholesomely, then we can witness a miracle. A small miracle, perhaps, but we get peace. 